welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, Clearedcast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello and welcome. I am Jill Hamilton, editor at Clearance Jobs. Thanks for joining us today as we chat with Billy Bob Brown, Jr. He's the Executive Assistant Director for Emergency Communications at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. We'll be talking with Billy Bob about his role at CISA and their work in emergency communications and how CISA is saving lives through technology. So, Billy Bob, I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Hi, Jill. Uh, great to uh, chat with you today. I'm looking forward to the conversation, too. Yeah, it's great. So, Everyone obviously takes a different route in their in their own personal career uh, story. So, can you talk to us about what your personal career path has been? You know, how did you get to the position you have today? I'm uh, sure, Jill. That's a great question. So, um, you know, normal path in school. I was always the guy that was interested in math. Uh, interestingly, played in the band. Uh, so, a little bit of a nerd as I went into college. Um, but I spent my uh, first years uh, after graduating college uh, in the military. Uh, so I spent a full 20-year career there, traveled the world, had a great time, uh, uh, developed a family, um, and then started working uh, as a contractor with one of the um, IT companies here in the D.C. area, and then uh, worked my way into uh, uh, into the federal space with the Department of Homeland Security, uh, really because of my desire to continue to uh, to serve the nation. Well, that's great. Um, so your role specifically is in emergency communications. So can you tell us about that role, the work you do for CISA, um, and even how how did CISA get involved in emergency communications? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's probably the one of the real joys kind of a, of my working career. Um, when I spent time in the military, everything was very much um, hierarchical and uh, and focused on uh, the work of a mission as part of a larger team. Uh, when I started working with the department, uh, we work with public safety um officials all across the nation, state and local government, uh, some industry partners who provide uh, technology solutions. Uh, what I quickly discovered was uh, for what for me in the back of my mind had always been a uh, resident, but uh, in my military career, I never really thought about the constitution in a holistic way. But, uh, but very early on uh, at the department in, uh, in a New England state, I was, um, accosted uh, a little bit about the idea of the federal government providing mandates that uh, that don't come with funding that force the state uh, and local jurisdictions to do something that they don't actually have the funding to do. And uh, and in two successive years, I had uh, some similar conversations about unfunded mandates, which for me unpacked the whole idea that the Constitution talks about, where discrete and distinct uh, authorities are provided to the federal government and everything else is reserved to the states. And at the states, the same sort of thing, the state government has some discrete uh, um, 
authorities and everything else is left to the uh, to the local uh, local jurisdictions which means that there's tons of jurisdictions all across the nation at the local level the county level even at the state level that have responsibility and authority uh, for their work which means that all of us if we're trying to do something on a national scale, we all have to actually work together. And uh, in emergency communications, when I first started, we were just in the middle of uh, uh, developing and publishing the first national emergency communications plan, which we refer to as the national plan. And, uh, and we refer to it in a way that stratifies that everybody has some responsibilities in order for all of us to succeed uh, in driving interoperability across the nation. The feds have some responsibilities. The states have some responsibilities. The local level jurisdictions have some responsibilities. And if at any one of those levels, someone doesn't do their part, then the team is not able to succeed. You know, so it really, uh, for me, drove home the idea that it really is kind of the development of this strategic team that uh, that we here in uh, uh, in CISA uh, have been trying to do for the department uh, to improve interoperability, improve um, life-saving communications, because we recognize that every second counts. Yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, you succeed as a team, you fail as a team, and it, and it definitely requires everyone's voice and participation in the, in, in every, in the game. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. So can you talk to us um, about how closely integrated technology is with emergency communications and, and even how far that technology has come over the years? Sure. The, uh, you know, so as communicators, technology, you know, is really native to us. Uh, you know, so we are in the business of helping um, emergency uh, responders, first responders, emergency service officials, critical infrastructure, uh, you know, decision making officials move information in order to perform their mission essential operations. You know, so we don't do the operation, but we recognize that the movement of uh, information from either a decision maker to a decision maker, decision maker to an operator or operator to an operator is essential in order to perform that uh, that mission essential task and and like i said a second ago you know every second counts uh you know when you're when so when my grandmother is in the middle of a stroke and dialing 911 every second counts to getting that responder to her getting uh her situation evaluated getting her to the emergency room to uh, the medical uh, practitioners that'll help uh, perform those uh, those life-saving uh, techniques so every second counts and the movement of information is a component of that because certainly where uh, the citizens identify a problem to the government, the quicker that can be done and then a uh, response official uh, dispatched out to, uh, to provide life-saving support, you know, all of those seconds count. Uh, so in t as we have watched the evolution of technology over the last 12 years that I've been here, we have been seeing communications, uh, so uh, responder communications, command and control kinds of decision-making uh, communications move from just principally a voice type of communication, which had been done principally uh, in an analog uh, sort of a setting. So I like to talk about it across the uh, 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 the legislative space and the executive branch space that, you know, when I first started 12 years ago, we were really talking about technologies that were copper in the ground. You know, so they were, uh, you know, radio propagation signals uh, that were analog in nature. Since I've been here, 
they have all migrated to, and they're in, they're in the process of migrating to fiber optics in the ground. They're all migrating to IP-based technologies instead of circuit-switched technologies. You know, so the advancement of communications into the all-IP um, capabilities has allowed for command and control to go from just being principally voice to also now bring the preponderance in, in the capabilities that data, video, and information services allow for decision makers and allow for those mission essential uh, operators to perform those critical uh, services. And, you know, as you've seen, maybe some examples um, and some uh, ideas that have been uh, propagated by uh, some of the uh, some of the developers of new technologies that are thinking out into the future. And we're at every step thinking with them and to try to have how, uh, how we drive interoperability for data, interoperability for video, because we still need responders. We still need emergency service officials to be able to share that information interoperably. But how do we um, move information when it could be, uh, it's like in the example of my grandmother, you know, getting a sense of what her heartbeat is, you know, getting a sense of, you know, her lung capacity and that being transmitted, you know, as a data transmission directly to the, uh, to the, uh, to the doctor or the physician's assistant or nurse in the hospital that's going to be receiving her to prepare for uh, the, uh, to prepare for the room that's going to receive her to provide that critical care. The faster they can get the, that kind of information in a data format to understand exactly what is happening, you know, in, inside, uh, you know, the better they're able to make diagnosis. Uh, diagnostic recommendations and to prepare for uh, the appropriate treatment. You know, so that's what we've been seeing and evolving with uh, over the last several uh, several years as we look to the future. And we're starting to talk about, you know, what is emergency communications look like in 2035? We are constantly talking about, uh, you know, some of the newer concepts that are out there in development, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and quantum, you know, are, are some of the foundational concerns that, uh, that we see and that we recognize that within the next seven years or so, as some of the research that's happening with some of our um, uh, carrier and network service provider partners, uh, we know that artificial intelligence and we know that machine learning are going to be critical components of, uh, of how those new networks are developed, how they're um, actually managed, and how they're secured. And, uh, and those are all of the things that, uh, that you know, the Emergency Communications uh, Division and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency uh, are are critically linked with all of the industry partners uh, to ensure that we deliver the best uh, and most robust uh, capabilities to all of our uh, government and emergency management personnel across the nation. It's really exciting to think about, you know, we, we tend to think about technology, you know, just from the user perspective and the personal uh, enjoyment we can get out of it or, um, we get mad when things aren't moving quickly in technology uh, when we're using it personally, right? But we don't think about just the impact that that does for an emergency situation or even the capabilities that that opens up just to be in a, you know, in an emergency vehicle and have all those um, diagnostic tools hooked up and actually moving that information on their own without being written down somewhere and having to be handed over to the next person at the hospital. Like you said, like in an emergent situation, just how critical the work is that you're doing. Um, it's exciting to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and certainly, you know, as the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency in working with our critical infrastructure partners, we understand that there are challenges, you know, and I like to refer mm -hmm. to them as adversarial challenges. Um, you know, part of my team has actually 
encouraged me to not think about it using the word <laughs> adversary, uh, you know, because it has some strange connotations. You know, they prefer right. the use of the term, you know, threat and hazard, which is a very <laughs> standard public safety kind of uh uh, principle, you know, but I have challenged them to understand, okay, I accept the idea that threat and hazard is a great way to communicate the concern, but we need to be thinking about the thinking threat and the thinking hazard that mm -hmm. may be intentionally countering any kind of mitigating activities that we're taking. So the hurricane, the tornado, all those disruptive and destructive weather uh, patterns that we see all across the nation, which are still a problem and accidents occur all of the time. And that's still a problem that, that we have to uh, face uh, to ensure that, you know, all of the critical infrastructure that's supporting uh, the United States remains as robust, robust and capable and resilient as possible. But uh, those uh, disruptive and destructive weather, those accidents, you know, they're not, those are not thinking threats. They're not countering any action that may be taken to try and mitigate that, uh, that threat. The thinking threat, the thinking th hazard is actually doing that. They're mitigating. And, you, and we see that around the world in, uh, in, in terms of criminality. You know, criminals, mm -hmm. hacktivists, hackers, you know, they are actively looking at ways and they're seeing how countering is being performed, but they're looking at ways to actively get around that in order to uh, to, uh, to take advantage and to uh, do disruption. And, uh, and certainly as, you know, as the world has continued to involve, you know, seeing even greater kind of national uh, sorts of uh, sorts of challenges uh, where there are thinking threats and hazards, you know, requires, uh, you know, the development of a, a dynamic, active and adaptive team that uh, that can that can counter those uh, thinking threats and hazards. Absolutely, because the thinking threat is going to be a little bit more persistent or a lot more persistent <laughs> in finding exactly. the holes and the gaps. So that's good. And maybe we already kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, when it comes to developing a secure and resilient emergency communication system, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges and how is CISA helping to address them? Um, sure, that's a great question. You know, my personal belief, one of the biggest challenges is the idea of understanding that we're all in this together, right? The, uh, you know, 330 million Americans, uh, you know, trying to, you know, live our lives to, you know, try to reach and attain, you know, some of the concepts or principles laid out in the preamble, you know, we the people in order to form a more, form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, you know, have the uh, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, it, it requires that we work together in the union. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of the founding principle, but the way that we sometimes look at how we do uh, life here in the United States tends towards the individual. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, I am trying to protect my family. I am trying to move my family forward. I am trying to move my own career forward, whatever the individual uh, idea or goal is, you know, but it really takes the I uh, recognizing that the I is part of the we and that all of us have to work together. Uh, and that's really what CISA has been bringing to the table for the last uh, several years. You know, what I call strategic team building, you know, helping critical infrastructure, helping state and local partners, helping our private uh, private sector partners recognize that that the we, the 300 million Americans, depend upon what I call the 32 million and the vital nationwide services uh, working together to seamlessly uh, promote interoperability, to seamlessly promote the development and advancement of security and resilience by working together, you know, we recognize that we can ensure that the thinking threat is not able to 
surreptitiously divide and conquer, because that really becomes the challenge. And uh, and that's really where CISA has been uh, 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 tremendously providing uh, um, opportunity uh, across the nation. But we are always looking for new people to join the team with great ideas, with new perspective. Obviously, diversity across uh, across our workforce is something that's critical because we need to reach you know every part of the we across the entirety of the nation in a way that's empathetically understanding you know the concerns, the requirements, the needs, uh, because everybody that's in the United States, everybody that's in uh, our population is a part of the we, and we need to ensure that uh, their voices are being heard collectively as we try to develop those those principles, ideas, practices, techniques uh, to improve security and resilience. So true. I love the I as part of the we, and that's definitely a good reminder that um, divided we fall, united we we actually can, we have to come together and be united in order to um, stay on top of threats. And you know, there's nothing like an emergency that I think often brings that out in people, the togetherness. Um, so hopefully, as we continue forward, as you plan for the future, um, you can we can continue working together and grow in that even more, you know. Yeah, and I love the one thing that you just said. You talked about, you know, it's nothing like an emergency that brings us together. You know, we always say here the best time to trade business cards and build relationships is not in the middle of the hurricane. The best mm-hmm. time to build trusted relationships is during these blue sky uh, times, during these uh, quiet moments when we have the opportunity to holistically think about how we're working together strategically as a team. You know, so it's, so in the, it's in the day to day. That's where we really build trusted relationships. That's where we really make uh, improvements and adjustments in, in how we do governance, how we do development of procedures, how we practice in exercises and improve our usage. It's what we like to call uh, the interoperability continuum. And there's five lanes, which are those that I just mentioned, you know, governance, procedures, uh, how we use uh, equipment and technology every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we do exercises to prepare for that. But the fifth lane of that uh, interoperability continuum is technology. And, you know, that's only 20% of the interoperability problem is technology. Mm. Vast preponderance, 80% of the problem are people-related problems. You know, it is how we bring the people together to work together to seamlessly and and collectively, uh, you know, and collaboratively, cooperatively work on solutions. That's so true. That's so true. It's like it, I've, I've heard the saying, consistency is your superpower. They're talking about exercising, but um, really it's what you're saying in the day to day. It's the dust settles after an emergency. And that's the time to really make sure you're shoring up things and working together as people um, and not over relying on technology. I mean, it's important, the technology piece, but um, you're right. The communications and the interactions between people is, is really a driving force Absolutely. in our response. That's good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today at ClearCast. For more security clearance news and defense information, please visit us at news.clearancejobs.com.